0: Happy Wednesday! You are listening to episode 28 of Share Crime. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Amy. This week is part one of the ID documentary series, An American Murder Mystery on Hulu, covering Casey Anthony. This is the true story of the horrifying murder of a two-year-old girl named Kaylee Anthony. Kaylee was missing for a month before her mother decided to notify anyone, including her own parents, whom she lived with at the time. She initially tells police that her nanny had kidnapped her daughter after dropping her off on her way to work. Things started to look fishy early on, and Casey's stories were not adding up, most of them being downright lies. As we dive headfirst into part one of this documentary, we will begin to realize that everything isn't always as it seems, and there are monsters out in this world in every shape and size. Maybe the ones you least expect are the ones that can do the most harm."
1: The sun is shining today. For real. I was starting (laughs) to think that we were like in that time where like the sun would be blocked out forever. Yeah. Because it's been cloudy. Weeks. For weeks.
0: I feel like we were in Seattle without the rain.
1: I mean, I don't totally hate it. I'll be honest. However, it was starting to get annoying because I've been working from home for the past two weeks. And it's always shitty when I'm working from home (laughs) and beautiful when I have to be in the office. Right, right. So, I'm not a fan.
0: It's a great day. Yes. It's Thursday. It's recording day. I'm very, very excited. Me too. And we're doing the Casey Anthony series. This has been a big request. It has been a big request from multiple people, actually. Yes, Yes. And we were finally like, you know what? We got to do it. We have to do it.
1: Yeah. We did break it down into the three parts because the documentary that we've seen is in three episodes. Right. It just makes sense. Well,
0: and there's so much to say about this case. Yeah. We have a lot of feelings about this fucking person. (laughs) She's horrible.
1: Awful. And we are ready to get into it. Well, before we do, though... Why don't you tell me what you brought over to drink? So on my way
0: here, I was completely flustered and forgot to bring a drink. So I had to stop at the liquor store and got something called Tongue Twister, a smoothie sour raspberry blood orange beer. What? I don't know what this is. (laughs) The outside of the can is really awesome looking. Oh, yeah.
1: Very nice, like, packaging.
0: Yes. And it's from Talking Waters brewing company and in Montevideo, Minnesota. Yes, it's local. We will see if I like it. I might absolutely hate it, but who knows? We'll see.
1: Hey, that's all right. I actually have a LaCroix today. Ooh, I love those. I used to drink them a lot and then I got out of them Mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of getting I need more water in my day. Yep, And I feel like this is a good way to do it. I was also influenced because everybody on my social media is talking about the limoncello flavor. Yeah. And limoncello is that how you say it?
0: I would say that too. I, think
1: I so. yeah. So I decided to try it and honestly I kind of like it. Good. Good. Yeah, but this is something unlike soda pop. I have to have this cold. Yes, oh, for sure. Soda room temperature I can drink it. LaCroix, I feel like it needs to be cold.
0: Absolutely. And it's funny because we probably have some listeners that hate LaCroix because I oh, think there's those two people that either really sure. like
1: it or hate it. Well, and to be honest, if I'm going to drink a sparkling water, I really actually like the bubbly brand better. I like bubbly too. We just started drinking those this year and I mm, really, really like them. The green apple, oh, Chef's Kiss, my favorite. Really? Never I had it. love that one. I don't Ooh. know why. I'm going to have to try that one. It's my favorite. I Yay. really, really like that one. But yeah, so this one's not bad. So we both get to pop tops today. Yes, we do. All right, should we do it? Let's do it. Hold on, I got to blow off. All right. Am I weird? I always do that. <laughs> I can't drink a can without blowing into it first. Maybe we were
0: the weird ones. Maybe I that's normal.
1: I heard like rats can run across them and stuff and like no. there's dust and like there could be poop on it. Oh yeah, it's freaked me out my whole life. So I always, normally I rinse it. I'm that weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I love that though. I now I might it have to do that. Before I do it. Okay. Oh. All right. I did not rinse this one. So we're going in head first. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Nice. Not bad. How is it?
0: Wow. <clears throat> <Ooh. laughs> it is really hard to explain. Can I smell it? You can smell it. it it's... I don't know how to describe it. I wanted to think that it was going to be a seltzery type of drink, and it's not because it's beer. It I definitely smell beer. But it has that sour aftertaste, but not too bad. It's actually okay. not a lot of sour, which I was kind of nervous about after I bought it. I'm like, oh well, it looks that,
1: like an energy drink.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's bad. Probably like a one and done type of drink. I wouldn't drink more. Yeah. But not bad. Now, Amy, how about you go ahead and get us started on part one of our coverage on Casey Anthony.
1: All right. Well, episode one in the documentary is entitled Little Girl Lost. So the documentary starts off July 15 of 2008. We're in Orlando, Florida, and it's about 844 p.m. Diane Diamond, a crime journalist, explains that the Orlando police get a 911 call from Cindy Anthony. She wants her 22-year-old daughter arrested for auto theft. A former sergeant at the sheriff's office, John Allen, says that deputies report to the Anthony residence to discuss the stolen car. Once they get there, police discover that George and Cindy Anthony live at the home with their daughter, Casey, and her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee, So it's a family of four living in this house. Actually, a lot of people live like that right now. I mean, I lived with my mom when I had my daughter for the first, like, I don't know, five years of her life. It's really, really
0: expensive, especially as a single mom,
1: to live on your own. And in Orlando, Florida. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine there's a ton of options. right? Right? Yeah. We also find out that this is the first time that Cindy has actually seen her daughter, Casey, In weeks. So she lives there, but she must not have been there for a little while.
0: And I think we'll figure out why.
1: Yeah. Diane goes on to explain that chaos suddenly erupts as Cindy is screaming at Casey and Casey is screaming back at her while the police are showing up. Mm -hmm. Cindy turns to the police and tells them that not only was the car stolen, but now her granddaughter is also missing. Detective Allen remembers that it was pretty clear that Cindy was running the show at that household, Cindy is furious and upset that she can't find her granddaughter. As most people would. Right.
0: Especially when she's
1: only two years old. And lives there. And where (laughs) is she? Right. We meet George Anthony, and I love how in the documentary, he comes on first, and underneath, to describe who he is, it says, Kaylee's grandfather. I... Had the same thing down. I was like, why didn't it say Casey's father? Nope. Nope. And I was like, solid burn, George. I see you. I I see what you're doing there. I really like that. (laughs) I would do the same thing if I was related to fucking Casey Anthony. Right? I'd be changing my name. (laughs) So he goes on to say that he's standing there trying to console Cindy as she's just kind of falling into his arms And he's thinking the whole time, like, what the heck is going on? I mean, this started out with a vehicle, and now we're at, where is our grandchild? Sergeant Allen says that Cindy reported that it had been about a month since Casey or anybody else had seen the child. It was very confusing, so deputies decided to separate the Anthonys and get statements taken. Get everybody in separate rooms. I'm sure it helped calm them all down, too, because they're kind of flustered right now and probably yelling at each other.
0: But, I mean, wouldn't this be the biggest red flag of them all? Okay, if she's a loving and caring mother and her daughter's been gone now for 30 days without a single person knowing about it, hello? I know. What the fuck? She hasn't told anyone that her two-year-old daughter is missing? I know. Ah uh, I know. I'm already
1: fucking pissed. I'm already mad. I can't like, stand her. Ah. Uh, her, her face makes me upset. I don't even have to know what she did. The way she
0: acts about this whole fucking thing, it's like it's a pain in her ass yep. to deal with it. Yep. Like, oh, she's so annoyed. And it just gets worse and worse when you see these fucking videos of her face. I'm like, I just want to fucking sock her in the face. No,
1: she 100% embodies all things that make millennials annoying as fuck.
0: Yes, and absolutely. I can
1: say that because I am one.
0: Yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs>
1: she makes us look bad. Absolutely. I could go on
0: forever. I'll let you continue. (laughs) Okay.
1: We then meet Jane Velez Mitchell. And remember, this is an ID documentary. Yes. So a lot of these players are the same when it comes to outside influence on the case and outside perspectives. Yes. So Jane is a crime reporter and she's also an author. And she was the one, she was our
0: over-the-top best friend from the Jodi Arias yes. case that oh, we I covered. Oh, I still love her. I know. Yeah.
1: She's so loud and matter-of-fact and she's awesome. She's a force. She goes on to say that the Anthony family was as normal as normal could be. So George had actually been a former police officer Cindy was a registered nurse, and together they were raising their daughter and their granddaughter in their household. I mean, it sounds pretty American pie to me. Right. And they use the verbiage, all-American
0: family. All the time. And we hear that so often in these documentaries, the, quote, all-American family. I'm like, can we figure out a different phrase to use? I'm kind of over it at this point, because... What truly is the all-American family, right? I mean, it it, it could differ in other people's eyes, but, you know, to each their own, I guess. Right.
1: This is when we meet Cindy Anthony in the documentary. And again, she is listed as Kaylee's grandmother. Yes, I love it. So do I. She says that Casey had been an energetic and spirited child. She was the light of their lives. And I believe she is an only child. They never speak about another kid. So- She is literally their whole everything. Yeah. She goes on to say that Casey was always very popular in school. She had lots of friends and always had little boyfriends running around. She said that she and her daughter were very close and basically using the word inseparable. She said that they used to shop together all the time. They would craft together. They went on walks. She said at about 19 years old, Casey comes home from a doctor's appointment and informs her that she's pregnant. And that she's worried that her mom would be upset with her, which I can 100% attest to. Because yeah. when I came home at 22 oh, yeah. and showed my mom the note that said that I had a positive pregnancy test, she, like, stared at me for a second. yeah, And I was like, oh, my God, she's going to kick us out. We're- I'm fucked. I, I literally almost shit my pants. And she's like, are we excited about this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she's oh, like, she oh, God. Be- and then she was, like, all about it. But I was like. Holy fuck, could you not use your poker face right now? This is not a time for a poker face. (laughs) Show your excitement right away. I'm freaking out right now.
0: (laughs) Right. My parents, or my mom, I should say, found out I was pregnant with my daughter because I was 21 at the time. Yeah. So it was legal to drink. I mean, I was out partying, living it up, right? Well, I got pregnant three months after I turned 21. So she had come home. I was still living with them at the time. And my mom had grabbed a beer from outside, asked if I wanted one, and I said no. And she goes, what's wrong with you? Uh, what, what's the matter? What's going on? I was like, nothing. Like, I, you know, I just don't want one. She's like, it's Friday and you don't want a beer when I ask <laughs> you for a beer. I'm like, can I just not have a beer? And she goes, are you pregnant? And almost jokingly. Yep. Like, are you pregnant? And then I just stared at her and she goes, no way. Are you really? Are you really? And she, She's like freaking out. My dad's not even in the house yet. You know, yeah. he's still outside coming inside. So I was like, Yeah, this is not how I wanted it to happen. God. Why do you have to be so damn observant? (laughs) Why do you have to be nosy? Get out of here.
1: (laughs) Oh, I I know that I'm going to know before Kaylin knows. When she gets pregnant, I'm going to know before she knows.
0: I think you almost have a a sense about it. Like you Mm -hmm. just feel like something's
1: different about the way that they're acting and all
0: that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm too nosy. I am your mother. Mm -hmm. I'm too nosy. (laughs) Where I know and I notice things like that. Yep. I just notice things. Right. I, I can always tell you if one of my cousins is knocked up before they've told everybody. <laughs> because there will be something that they do where I'm like, hmm, you got a baby love, in you. Yep. You got yep. baby in you. Isn't it so funny? Yes. So anyway, back to the story. Cindy says that she remembers hugging Casey and she's like, I'm going to be a grandma. She said, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. You're going to make a wonderful mom. So she was super supportive super on board. That was it.
0: And that's awesome. I, some people don't always get that kind of reaction from their parents. Sometimes it can be negative and that's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're already in a tough position, especially if she already knew that she was going to be a single mom. And maybe she did or maybe she didn't. But that's nice when a parent can react in a very positive manner
1: oh, versus yeah. a negative one. A 100 percent. Well, we do find out from Diane that Casey actually didn't disclose the name of the father to her parents but that didn't seem to bother them so it sounds like they don't know who the dad is yeah. she maybe it was a one night stand situation she just didn't even want to get into it didn't want right. him involved and she knew their parents were there to back her up so absolutely i mean it is what it is mhm
0: now on august 9th of 2005 Casey gave birth to Kaylee Marie Anthony Cindy comes on to let us know that she had been the first person to hold Kaylee when she was born. And she had felt a tiny bit guilty about that because not even Casey got to hold her baby right away. But she was just gushing over this new baby. She was so overwhelmed with all the love and the emotions that come with that.
1: I mean, my mom was the first to hold Kaylee. Yeah. They put her on my stomach and I was like, she's full of blood and gross. Can you take her away, please? <laughs> It's like I'm not into this at the moment. I yeah. just went through I just went through birth. Yes. Do you know what I just did? It's a lot of work. Yeah. My mom held her and she's like, Do you want her yet? I'm like, I'm good. Can I get some coffee? Yep. Can I get some food? <laughs> you hold her all you want. Yep, I'll have her in a little bit. Yep, I'm good. I get to take her home. That's
0: right. Now, Kaylee reminded Cindy a lot of Casey as a baby. So she immediately felt this attachment to her, this oh, special yeah. attachment simply because it was almost like reliving those moments. Oh, 100%. As Casey as a baby. And my mom has said this to me over and over again. It was the same thing with my daughter. Yeah. It reminded her so much of me. And even my grandma. My daughter reminded her of my mom as a baby because they yeah. both had blonde hair. They both had the same mannerisms. So it's it's just such a joy, especially as you're older in life and obviously you're not having any more babies of your own. To relive those baby moments, even if it's just for a little bit.
1: Well, and it's your baby's baby. Right. I literally, I've told you this, I cannot wait to be a grandmother. I know. It's something so special. Oh, I whispered in Kaylin's ear the first night we were together in the hospital after she was born. I said, you need to make me a grandma one day. (laughs) Yes. She was not 24 hours old.
0: (laughs) Now that investigators knew a bit more about the Anthony family dynamic, their main focus was finding Kaylee. This was an all hands on deck kind of situation. Right. John Allen says that they notified the on call missing persons detective right away. His name was Corporal Yuri Melich. He shows up and picks up this investigation. They needed to ensure that it was in the right hands from the very beginning, so nothing went wrong. Right. Casey tells Detective Malich that she had dropped Kaylee off at a babysitter's house a month ago, and the babysitter had refused to give her daughter back. And to me, this was one of the worst excuses you can come up with. Like, did she not think that they would question her on this? Like oh, why didn't you notify police? Why didn't you tell anyone a month ago that your daughter, your two-year-old daughter was missing? File a missing persons report. It's just so dumb to me. I can't wrap my mind around it. But again, she was young and stupid and she's a fucking bitch. I don't, I don't know
1: what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> Case closed, fucking bitch. We're done. Thanks and for the tuning story. in. story.
0: <laughs> now, when police hear this story, they're completely shocked. It doesn't make sense because from it's the very beginning. Not normal, Like, this didn't just happen a couple days ago. This happened a month ago. That's right. a lot of time that's passed. Yeah. Now, John says that they are seeing through this whole story. I mean, they knew that something was weird about it from the very beginning. Sure. Because it was bizarre. It, it didn't really make sense. No. He states that typically when a child goes missing, parents report right away. Duh. Of course they do. The investigators have the hard task of trying to play catch up. They're a month behind. Remember, there's like a very small window of time that you have to save and find a child yep. before they're most likely deceased. Isn't it like the first 48 hours are the most crucial? Right. Yeah. And it's now been 30 days. So right. now they don't even know really where to start because so many things have happened in yeah. 30 days. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, at this point, any evidence could have changed or been completely
0: erased or gone. Right Now, they're trying to put together some sort of a timeline of what happened over these 30 days, but it was going to be a tough challenge for them. Sure. Detective Mellich questioned Casey about what happened on June 16th, which was the day that Kaylee went missing. John tells us that Casey had told Detective Mellich about her career as an event planner at Universal Studios. She stated that she had dropped Kaylee off at this babysitter's house that morning before heading to work. And when she went to pick her up, the apartment was empty. Nobody was home and Kaylee was gone. Basically stating that the nanny fled with her daughter. Sure. While she was gone for eight or nine hours, whatever it was. Yeah. Diane Diamond, that crime journalist, says that Casey stated that she called and called this nanny's phone. But strangely enough, it was out of service. She couldn't even get in touch with her anymore.
1: Yeah. I wrote down, like, did we check phone records? Right. Because I feel like that would be something. Okay. First of all, wouldn't you notify her that you're on your way in the morning? Yep. Potentially. Potentially. Maybe you already have, like, a schedule. So you know every morning at 730 is drop off. Drop off, yep. But there would be phone records. Right.
0: And it's interesting because they didn't talk about phone records, at all in this documentary besides the 911 calls. Right. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring any of that evidence to light in the next few parts that we cover because they didn't really talk about it. Casey stated that she waited at the apartment for a while, hoping they would come back. But when they didn't, she decided to go to familiar places around town that she knew the nanny would take Kaylee to. So, like, the park and the mall and different places that she would go with her, but was still unable to find them.
1: Which, side note, I wrote hell to the fucking no on that. I would never allow somebody outside of myself to take my child to a fucking shopping mall. Never. Never. Do you know that my kid was, like... Five or six before she ever stepped foot in the Mall of America. (laughs) And it was only because I had myself and two other adults with me to keep an eye on her. I literally always thought she was going to be kidnapped from me. I still think it.
0: It's scary. And to think that she would allow a nanny to do that. Never. I mean, absolutely never. Maybe it's different with. What, in Orlando? No. No. I mean, like. If if her story was true and yeah. say that they were really close friends or close family members, nope. maybe I could see that people would allow that. Not now me. would I? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, no. Nope. for the most part, our daycare lady isn't even allowed to drive our kid anywhere. Right. They can't even take them in a vehicle anywhere. Right. And so it's interesting. But of course, Casey didn't think any of this through.
1: Oh, sure. No. Why not? Just take my kid to the mall. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. She's two. Who wants to bring a two-year-old to the mall anyway? That sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. Right. John tells us that she had felt embarrassed
0: by this supposed kidnapping and didn't want to go home to face her parents. She knew they were going to question her about Kaylee, and she didn't have an answer to give them. Hmm. Wouldn't your parents and or spouse be the first people you run to if your child is missing? I mean, as a normal human being, you would need to tell someone because you're frantic, you're scared, you're concerned, you're a loving parent. Right? I think. It's so crazy that she was more embarrassed to tell her parents that her daughter was missing so she just didn't say anything at all. That is such a bold-faced lie. It doesn't fucking make sense to anyone. No, I don't like it. No. So instead of going home to her parents where she was living at the time she went to her boyfriend's house and stayed there for almost a month yeah now mind you this was a boyfriend that Cindy Anthony Casey's mom had never even met before so they weren't acquainted so it was it must have been a pretty recent or new relationship
1: because Cindy had no idea who this guy was yeah it was pretty recent from, that we find out pretty shortly here yes now, Sergeant Allen goes on to say that Casey claims that she didn't tell the police because she feared that the nanny would harm Kaylee if she did, which I wrote. What? You're like trusting this person to watch your child every day, but you're afraid that she'll harm her sketch and super sketch.
0: I think so. The angle she might have been taking was like in retaliation for you calling the police on me, stealing your daughter. I'm going to harm her. I think that's kind of where she was I headed. I like it. But no, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. No.
1: We find out that the nanny's name is Zenaida Gonzalez, and she goes by the nickname Zanny the Nanny. So according to that, you'd think this is somebody who has been nannying for a while, maybe has multiple children that they watch at one time. They're somewhat familiar with the situation. Especially if you have a nickname. Right. You don't typically...
0: (laughs) Seen nannies with a specific nickname, but
1: no, no. Okay, so she gives police a physical description. This woman is about twenty five years old. She's half black, half Puerto Rican. She says that she has watched Kaylee regularly for a couple of years. So, if that's the case, my number one thing would have been as the police is to talk to Cindy and George to cooperate that story,
0: right? Because they would know.
1: They would know. Here is the thing. Even as a single mom, every once in a while, you have to call someone else to pick up your kid from daycare. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but when my daughter was first going to daycare, besides me and her father, my mom was the only other person listed that was 100% okay to pick her up yeah. without having to have like prior notice. Right. I would just let the daycare lady know every day, like, hey, by the way, mom's picking her up today. Yep. Yeah. But- She didn't need to know that was my mom met her on day one Yep. to make sure everything was fine. Again, she did not think any of this fucking through.
0: No. And I don't like it. And, you know, can we stop for a second and talk about how fucking pissed you would be if you were Zenaida? Because later in this documentary, we find out that this is a real person. Yeah. Zenaida Gonzalez That she is targeting and essentially throwing under the bus for kidnapping and possibly murdering her two-year-old daughter. It's fucked. Like, I smell a defamation of character lawsuit in Casey's future.
1: Next, we meet Eric Edwards. He was a former corporal for the Orange County Sheriff's Office. And he says that they go to the apartment and the police figure finding Zenaida would pretty much lead them to Kaylee. Right. John Allen comes in at this point and says that with Casey in the car, she points to a particular apartment at the complex and points that out as being the residence of Zenaida Gonzalez. Detective Melich knocks on the door, but no one answers. So they're kind of peering into the window a little bit. Mm -hmm. These are basically kind of apartments as if like they're set up as motels. Yes. So the doors are all on the outside of the building. Which I would absolutely never, ever live in. You could no. not fucking pay me to live in an apartment like that. That is like terrifying. That. Uh-huh. Not like it's any different than a house, right? Like, we're <laughs> like that now. But it's it's different. It seems like it's it feels more different. more people around, yeah. and I don't like that. Right. So he's peering into the window, and he notices that the apartment appears completely vacant. So Eric Edwards says that most missing children's cases don't end well, After a certain period of time, he says with time ticking, police release the info to the media right away trying to generate leads. I mean, like you mentioned, they're 30 days behind. Yeah. Jane Velez Mitchell comes back on and says that the case gained popularity immediately. This missing child from the Mecca of children, Orlando, Florida. We have a gorgeous young mom and an all-American family. And the idea that you leave your child with someone that you trust and they just disappear I mean, it's a fucking nightmare. So Sergeant Allen says that Detective Mellage continues his search for the nanny. He returns to Sawgrass Apartments the next day where she supposedly lived. And he decides to speak with the complex manager. And he learns that that particular apartment had actually been vacant for months. So Eric says there was no Zenaida Gonzalez renting that apartment. And actually they find out that she had never been renting an apartment at this complex. So here's another big red flag.
0: Right. And again,
1: did Casey think that
0: they were not going to look into this further? Or what was her end game
1: here? I think stalling. That was all she could do at this point because literally she's a terrible liar. Right. Casey had then also told Detective Mellage that she had worked at Universal Studios as an event planner and that she had confided in two coworkers there that Zanny had disappeared with Kaylee's. Apparently, she doesn't tell her parents, she doesn't tell the police, she doesn't tell her boyfriend, but she tells these 2 coworkers, Random coworkers, about it.
0: And they don't say anything.
1: And they don't say anything. Interesting. I know. Diane Diamond comes back on and says that Detective Mellage gets quite a shock when he goes to Universal Studios and finds out that Casey hasn't actually worked there in over two years. Neither do the other two people that Casey mentioned as basically these people she confided in. So far, nothing that Casey has told them has been correct. And why lie about it? I mean, where is Kaylee? Right. And how many red flags is this
0: now? We're on a, a lot. Huge red flags and many of them.
1: Yes. So we hear from the editor-in-chief of the National Enquirer, Dylan Howard, throughout this documentary. And he says that Detective Mellich and Sergeant Allen decide to set up a trap by taking Casey to Universal Studios.
0: Sergeant John Allen and Detective Mellich pick up Casey and they took her to Universal to gauge what type of reaction she would have by being there. Yeah. Right. She had made up this whole story about working there. What was going to happen? Because they already knew that she didn't work there. Right. Right. So they were met at the employee entrance by the director of security at Universal. Casey starts talking with the security director, trying to explain that she works there. He was really confused by this. Sure. And just told her that there was no one that worked at Universal with the name Casey Anthony. Can you imagine how awkward that
1: would be? I don't have any idea how somebody would have the balls to even try that.
0: what was she thinking? I literally I can't comprehend this. It, my whole it's thing so is so crazy.
1: If I don't think I'm gonna get away with it, I don't even attempt it. No. So I don't understand why she would even go through this. Oh, but my God. it gets it gets better. I know. She looks back at the detectives and
0: assures them that she works here. Like, no, you know, don't worry about this. I got this. Yeah. Like it must be a mistake. They're gonna check again. Diane Diamond says that she gives the name of her supervisor and his extension, but is told that that person also does not work at Universal. The officers are watching all of this play out one lie after another after another because they know, they already know that she doesn't work there. Right. So, oh my God, it's just, I wish I could be a fly on the fucking wall watching that happen because it's so cringy. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Thinking how that interaction went, it'd be horrible. Then a supervisor intervenes during this conversation and lets her in the damn building. I
1: don't understand this at all. Okay,
0: did this guy lose his job after this? Because why the fuck would he let her in when the other director of security was literally telling her, no one by the name of Casey Anthony works here. Right. That supervisor is not a person that works here. You're literally just lying out of your ass right now. But then this other guy comes around the corner. I was like, don't no, let her in. No yeah, problem. I'll let her in. Oh, I, I don't my get God. it. God, I know. Oh, my God. John Allen goes on to tell us that they were walking through the building. Casey's waving at people who have no idea who she is. <laughs> like they can literally tell in their faces like they're like
1: super Confused and puzzled like uh-huh. what the hell she's doing. And remember, this was the time before masks. So people saw right. her
0: full face. <laughs> That's right. Casey leads them all the way down this hallway to a dead end, then turns to the detectives and finally tells them that she doesn't work there.
1: Duh. How? Oh, my God. How awkward is that? Like, that is... How did they keep a straight face? (laughs) Because I would have had such a look on my face that would have just given away the fact that I knew she was just a pile of shit.
0: Oh, I know. And they literally tell her that they already knew the whole time and that now it was time for them to have a different type of conversation. (sighs) And they were hoping that they can get some truth out of her and find out where Kaylee really is. Sure. Now, Detective Mellich starts this conversation, and he's definitely being more confrontational at this point.
1: Well, I think I would be, too, because now you've been dicked around.
0: Right. He's... They're pissed. To quite an extent. Right. We hear some of the police interrogation audio from July 16th of 2008. Melich states, I know and you know that everything you told me is a lie, correct? Casey replies, not everything that I've told you. (laughs)
1: Okay. My name really is Casey Anthony. (laughs) That's about where it ends. That's it. That's it. They really are my parents, (laughs) and I do have a child. That's as far as it goes. Uh,
0: Yep, that's it. Melich states, okay, pretty much everything that you told me, including where Kaylee is right now. Casey replies, That I still I don't know where she is. Melich says, Sure you do. We're tired of the lies. No more lies. What happened to Kaylee? And Casey goes, I don't know where she is. Jane Velez Mitchell, our beautiful and wonderful crime reporter, comes back and says, if Casey were to just start cooperating with the police, they would actually be able to help her find her daughter. Instead, she's having police chase down these leads that are completely fabricated.
1: Right. It's all bullshit.
0: All of it's bullshit and it's wasting time and it's pissing off the police because they're like, do you realize that it's time sensitive? And I think this is why they start thinking, hmm, she definitely knows more about this and she must know where she is.
1: Yeah. Because she's not too concerned. Yeah. I would almost be thinking at this point that it's one of those like fake kidnapping situations yeah. where like you put out a ransom to try to get money or like, sure. you know what I mean? Like, what was it? There's a, there's been a couple of them where they're like, they find out to be like fake. Yeah. You know, they're hoaxes. That's the word I'm looking for. They're like a hoax. Just to get something. Compensation,
0: yeah. sympathy, whatever it is. Yeah. People are looking for something. Yeah. And at this point, they can't figure out what it is. They they can't understand what she's actually doing and why she's doing this. Right. Now, back to the interrogation with Casey. Casey tells detectives that the last person that I saw her with is Zenaida. Melich responds with, it's not the truth because we went to the apartment complex. There's no person that ever lived there by that name. The apartment's been vacant since March. We even pulled surveillance video from the apartment complex. Yet we're not seeing you over there. You think that we are stupid and we're not going to do all of this stuff? Right. That was my fucking question. Like, I mean, seriously. Did she actually think they were just gonna believe her statements and not check them out to make sure that they were true? Well, oh,
1: yeah, she seems very trustworthy.
0: She's so dumb. I don't know if I could, if naive is the word. Like she actually thought that they would believe her because she's just this young, cute girl. I I, I don't understand where her thought process is. It's
1: a Jody Arias all over them it's, again.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Very confident in something that literally breathes right. no confidence.
0: Casey states, this is the honest to God's truth. With everything that I've said, the last person that I saw her with is Zenaida. John Allen asks her, okay, so you purposely misled us. Casey cuts in and says, I was scared. I saw my mom's reaction right off the bat, and it would have been the same from the get-go. And Melich responds, so, wait a minute. You're more afraid of your mom's reaction than you are if you ever see your daughter again? Right. That is my fucking question, too. Like, it's so... It just doesn't make any fucking sense. No. But then Casey responds with, and I found this very interesting. No, I'm absolutely petrified. I know my mom's never going to forgive me. I'm never going to forgive myself. I found this interesting. Me, too. That last statement is, I'm never going to forgive myself. Because I think that this is a little bit of the truth coming out in a very subtle way. Yeah. Like subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think that she meant to say it in that context. It just came out. Yeah. But I found that interesting and needed to highlight it because I'm like, that is a telltale sign that there's something else that you're hiding and keeping from police. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie. If something happened to my daughter, I would also be a little bit afraid of my mother killing me. Oh, for sure. That's her first grandbaby. But you would but still, still notify someone. So fucking literally she'd be the first person I call. And that wouldn't even be on your mind. Like No, but way... I would be like literally a little bit afraid. Oh, sure. <laughs> but like not to the point where you just no. keep this information
0: like you're more scared of your mom than finding your daughter. That's a that's a fucking garbage statement. That doesn't well, even really make, I mean, make sense.
1: Let's be honest. I can outrun her. She may be scarier, <laughs> but I can outrun her. <laughs> so not
0: only. Were there all of these inconsistencies that we're seeing? But there was something else that seemed off to detectives. And Eric Edwards comes on and says that she didn't seem to have any urgency about this matter at all. No. Didn't show any concern about the fact that her two-year-old daughter was missing. And that's really strange behavior. I mean, people break the fuck down. Uh, They're a mess. Yeah. They're a mess because you can't wrap your mind around it. Are they safe? Are they somewhere warm? Are they outside? Are, Are they, they alive? Yeah. yeah. There's so many questions that you ask, and she doesn't care at all. Nope. Our Sergeant John Allen says that she just wasn't forthcoming about the entire thing. Yeah,
1: Not Everything
0: it. was a lie and misled them to places they didn't need to be. Most of the time, the parent of a child who is missing is completely frantic and beside themselves. And based on her behavior they started thinking that maybe she knew that Kaylee was safe somewhere.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking, like a
0: fake kidnapping. Yeah, Yeah, because otherwise there would be much more panic and concern. Absolutely. Diane Diamond says that the investigators were well aware of the volatile relationship between Casey and her mom. And they even asked Casey if this had anything to do with her not wanting her mom to see Kaylee. And... That she took her somewhere to keep her away from her. So now I think they're trying to give Casey a sense of like, oh, well, we're not we're not looking at you as being in trouble. We're just trying to, like, lead her in a better direction to maybe start telling some truths about what happened
1: and maybe change her story. Yeah. Try to almost appeal to her side of the situation. Right. Yeah.
0: But unfortunately, Casey still sticks to her guns and tells them that she left her with Zonida, the nanny. She never broke from that statement. Yeah. Back to the interrogation with Casey. Melich tells her, we need to find out from you where Kaylee is. This has become such a mess. And Casey goes, I agree with you. I have no clue where she is. John Allen realized that they were getting nowhere with this conversation with Casey, and she was always going to go back to this Zenaida Gonzalez story. So they ended the interrogation, and they decide to raise the stakes a bit and arrest her for child neglect. I mean, yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were hoping that she may confess to what actually happened, since this was getting a lot more serious. Right. But that didn't happen. No. Cindy Anthony tells us that she was a little heartbroken and scared when they took Casey into custody. But if they were able to get more honest answers from her that way, she was all for
1: it. Yeah. Almost like a scared straight situation. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now, of course, once somebody is taken into custody, they're, they're almost always offered a phone call. You're right. And this is no different. They offer Casey a phone call, but police monitor every single word. Casey decides to call her mom. So we get to hear a jailhouse recording from July 16th of 2008. Cindy is being very calm on the phone. I mean, almost to the point where she's afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. She keeps calling Casey sweetheart over and over when she asks her questions. But Casey, honestly, I wrote she's being kind of a snot. Like, just, I want to shake her. She was really callous and nasty. It was like Regina George, how she talks to her mother and mean girls. Yes. It was just like she was so annoyed. Yes. Annoyed with with everything. Yes. And super annoyed with her mom. Yeah. And just dismissive. I mean, disrespectful. Absolutely. Disrespectful. And she just keeps saying, you know, this isn't my fault. And Cindy stated that she didn't have the energy to be upset with her. So she just wasn't being confrontational. And I think at this point, I totally get that.
0: It was probably a good thing because she yeah. seems like a fucking loose cannon.
1: For real.
0: You say the wrong thing and she will shut down and not say anything to you probably anymore. You know, and right. they want to find Kaylee. They need to get answers from her.
1: Yeah. Oh, I totally get it. I have a 12 year old. <laughs> I tiptoe Same of around situation. things to say because sometimes she will just shut up and not talk to me again. And yeah. I'm like, uh oh, oh <sighs> what did I do? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I breathed too hard that time. (laughs) Cindy goes on to say, if you just told them the truth, you know, not lied about everything. And Casey cuts her off. She says, do me a favor. Just tell me what Tony's number is. I don't want to talk to you right now. Forget it. Cindy's priority has always been Kaylee. But all Casey seemed to want to do was get her boyfriend's phone number. So Cindy passes the phone to a family friend who must have been at the house at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. The family friend then asks her why she wasn't even crying over this or seeming to care about it. And Casey responds by saying, because I'm not sitting here fucking crying every two seconds because I have to stay composed to talk to detectives. What? Who says that you have to stay composed as a mother of a missing child? When did she shed one tear over her missing daughter? No, she just seems extremely defensive. Very much so. And more so me, me, me. Why are we even talking about Kaylee right now? Again,
0: she's so irritated. It's immature. Oh, I hate fuck. it.
1: It's dealing with the teenagers, with I is.
0: hate listening to everything she says. It is so and the word disrespectful is perfect. Yeah. She is a fucking disrespectful bitch. Yeah, I would if I was her mother and she talked to me like that with the whole Tony's number thing, like she needs Tony's number. I'd have been like, too bad, bitch. You're yep. not fucking getting it. And I would hung the fuck up on her. Yeah. Like fuck you! <laughs> like what? Yep. You're the one in jail right now. I have all the power. Like you're not talking to me like that. It's
1: no, horrible. Yeah, I think Cindy should have taken Casey over her knee. Absolutely, spanked <laughs> the shit out of her a couple times. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Her 20 year old self. Yes. <laughs> fuck it. She's so small. Yeah. She's tiny. <laughs> she could. Come on. Eric Edwards comes back on and says that there are so many red flags when listening to that first jail call which, I mean, obviously we are already talking about. You know, he says that she's not even generally interested that her daughter is missing and that the whole time she's adamant about getting her boyfriend's phone number, Tony Lazaro, and they decide we need to talk to this guy. Absolutely. Maybe he has something to do with it. Maybe they're like in this together.
0: Or maybe he can just shed some light on what happened during those 30 days since they spent
1: all that time together. Right. So detectives head to Tony's apartment. We meet Clint House. He's a former (laughs) friend of Casey Anthony. It says that in the documentary.
0: I am just loving the shade on all of these lower thirds for these people. It is the best because she fucking sucks and she should have no friends. So I love that he is a former,
1: former friend, former. I underlined it and wrote LOL because (laughs) I was like, did I really? I (laughs) rewound it a second to see if it actually said that. I love it. Now, Clint says that he had lived with Tony Lazaro in an apartment in Orlando. He says that when the police show up, it's really kind of scary. He's like, there are about 20 police officers in our apartment looking and asking for this missing child. It's very nerve wracking. Could
0: you imagine having 20 police officers in your apartment? No. That would be like a full party of police officers at your house.
1: Yeah. That is scary. I mean, I love a man in uniform, but that's a bit excessive.
0: You know, I think it would honestly bring you to a point of, oh, my God, did I get myself in the middle of something? Well, yeah, this, this is obviously something serious. What the hell is going on? Right. One or two
1: you expect that many. I mean, that would get to be a little intimidating. Yeah. Clint goes on to say that Tony was absolutely surprised when they start asking him about Kaylee. He says that he didn't know where she was either. And Clint kept thinking, you know, how is this the first that we're hearing about this if she's been missing for 30 days? He explains that Casey and Tony started dating at the end of April of 2008. He described Casey as fun, a bubbly person, somebody with a great personality. About three weeks after Tony and Casey started dating, she brought Kaylee over to the apartment for the first time. And he describes Kaylee as the cutest two-year-old you could ever imagine. He says that she walks into the apartment with these big giant sunglasses on and says, What's up, dudes? Which I just picture my kid at that age.
0: I thought of Michelle Tanner from Full House. Oh yeah. Doesn't she say that? Like, what's up, dudes? Or Oh yeah, totally. Something something like that. No, totally. Kind of reminded me of her, but Kaylee is a Adorable.
1: Seriously. How? Like, how? she makes the Gerber baby look like a troll. I know. How could,
0: how could anyone hurt that precious face? It just, oh, it hurts my heart.
1: I know. Clint goes on to say that they actually spent a lot of time with Kaylee and that she was super intelligent. He says that by two years old, she already knew, like, all of her colors, her shapes. She could count to ten in both English and Spanish, which I'm just like, okay, braggy. That's- <laughs> That is awesome. But it's so great. Yeah. He says that he would have described Casey as a really loving and attentive mom. She always seemed to be right on top of things when she was over there with Kaylee. Yeah. So he wouldn't have ever kind of thought that this was a situation that they would ever find themselves in.
0: And there was no red
1: flags at that time. Everything seemed normal. Right. So for the first couple of months, it went from Kaylee being there no less than like three times a week To all of a sudden, it's now mid-June and she's not coming over with Casey at all. When asked about where Kaylee was, Casey always just said that she was with a nanny or with her parents. And I mean, I, you know, I dated when Kaylin was really little. And occasionally she would come with me to my boyfriend's house, but occasionally she wouldn't. I did live with my mom at the time. And yeah, I remember him and his roommates would say, you know, oh, where's Kaylin tonight? Like, oh, you know, she's at her dad's house this weekend or she's with my mom tonight. People don't think twice about it, especially, no two men. They wouldn't think twice about it. If she said that, they'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, cool. No kid tonight. Yeah, you know, whatever. Problem. He says that nothing stood out to make them think something may have happened. And there was absolutely no mention of her being missing at all. With all the information that they're finding out, detectives continue to scour the case files, but something else catches the eyes of investigators.
0: Diane Diamond comes on to tell us that they found out that there wasn't just one 911 phone call from Cindy Anthony, but three. In the same night. The same night. And they had missed this during the initial investigation. Well, yeah. Why would they even look back? Well, it's interesting to me that it got unnoticed. Sure. We hear that infamous line from that 911 phone call that we've all heard. If you know about the Casey Anthony case, this is the infamous line from Cindy Anthony. Yeah. Quote, I found my daughter's car today and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. Yeah. And she sounds frantic. Frantic. And she doesn't want to believe it. No. But what an interesting statement to make. Right. Especially coming from a nurse. Right. To John Allen, this was a complete surprise. That's not a typical 911 phone call that you hear every day. Hell no. Especially when it's referring back to a missing child. Right. Police knew they needed to get this car into evidence immediately. Eric Edwards tells us that it was a 1998 Pontiac Sunfire. I literally had the same fucking car. The one did they're you? showing us is a white Yeah, Pontiac Sunfire and actually I don't think it's a Pontiac Sunfire the one that they're showing in the Yeah, episode. the one that they were showing did not look like a Pontiac Sunfire. I think Sunfire. it's a Grand Am GT or something. That's exactly what it looked like to me too. But literally I had a white 1998 Pontiac Sunfire. I'm like that is really creepy. That is weird. <laughs> so creepy. Now, once they get it in their hands, police immediately are hit with the smell of decomposition. Yeah. The entire garage that they had housed this car in smelled like it. Could you imagine? No. These people are trained, and many of these officers have seen and or smelt a dead body before. Right. And this isn't ev- new. Every single one of them knew what that smell was. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't believe that that's something you can confuse for something else. Absolutely
0: not. And Sergeant John Allen even says, it's not a smell that you would ever forget. They knew there had been a dead body in that vehicle at some point. Yeah. Diane Diamond tells us that they get a cadaver dog, obviously, to come check out the vehicle. The dog ends up walking around the whole vehicle and then stopped at the trunk. Yep. The dogs give this signal of sitting down, and telling
1: them this is where it was. Yep. This is he where the body was. to the trunk immediately.
0: Experts open the trunk, and it looks to have been vacuumed out, and they start gathering any evidence that they can. We meet Jeff Ashton. He was actually the former prosecutor on the Casey Anthony case. Yeah. And he tells us that not only did they have the decomposition smell, but there was a stained area in the trunk. The size of the stain could have easily been created by a child's body. Yep. Very suspicious. Come on. I mean, really, what more do you need? How? Oh, my God. How? How is this not the nail in the coffin? I know. It doesn't make sense to me. I know. Ugh. Of course, the investigators take a piece of the carpet to send to the lab for testing. Dylan Howard, the editor for the National Enquirer, tells us that the final piece of crucial evidence they find in this trunk were human hairs. So they also send that out for forensic testing. Sure. Eric said he thought to himself that they may not be looking for a missing child, but a deceased one. And that obviously makes sense. They smelt decomposition. They don't know where Kaylee is. And
1: there's a stain in the trunk that is the size of a child's body. Right, because I can't imagine that, let's say, for argument's sake, that the child had been injured and put in the back of the trunk, bleeding. Let's say she was bleeding from a large, you know, a large pool of blood comes out. I can't imagine that that would smell the same as a dead body that had no. been laying there. Do you know what I mean?
0: No, and I, I've heard this so often and I don't know what a dead body smells like. And thankfully, I don't. I, I don't ever want to experience something like that. Thank
1: God Jelly Belly hasn't come up with that. Oh
0: my God. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> and people would be eating them. Um, That's so gross. I can't. I know. Sorry. <laughs> so
1: That'll make your beer taste better. Oh,
0: right, right. <laughs> But you hear it so often in documentaries that police officers and investigators and detectives will tell you it is a smell unlike any smell on this planet. Oh, yeah. You know what it is
1: immediately. I bet it's almost an instinctive knowing.
0: Yep. You hear it time and time again on documentaries. So for them to all come to the same conclusion, you know that there was a dead body in that vehicle. Right. Right. Police immediately called George and Cindy to ask them questions about this vehicle. Because again, this vehicle is registered under their name. Casey was the one that was driving it. Cindy had originally reported the car as abandoned. Apparently, Casey had abandoned it because the fuel was empty at a check cashing store in town and it had been towed. Right. They only found out about it getting towed because they got a letter in the mail from the impound lot. Yeah. Police then need to ask her about the dead body smell statement that she made on one of those 911 calls.
1: I mean, it's fucking, you can't unhear that. Right. And it's such, so specific. Yes. It is a bold statement to make. Yes. And she knew what she was talking about when she said it. You don't say something like that on a 911 call. Just like you don't say bomb near an airport. Right. Right? It's one of those things. You just don't fucking say that. That's not a Freudian slip.
0: No. We see an interview with George and Cindy at the police station. And the detective says, did you guys discuss the smell of the car or anything? And Cindy replies with the thing of it was when George opened the trunk, you could tell as soon as we got home, we aired it out. Diane Diamond comes back and says that the police learned that Cindy found a bag of garbage in the trunk of the car when they had picked it up from the impound lot. We meet Kevin Barry. He is the former Orange County sheriff, and he says that they were trying to get the real story from Cindy, but it wasn't adding up to her statements on the 911 call, almost like she was backtracking
1: a bit. Well, and here's my fucking question. George, you were a former police officer. Yeah. Don't tell me you didn't know what that smell was. Right. You knew what that smell was. Absolutely. And it wasn't fucking garbage. Absolutely. Unless the garbage contained a dead body. And now that I think about it, maybe that was Casey's
0: way of hoping that the smell would get hidden by the garbage. Right.
1: Who leaves garbage in their trunk? I mean, I did have an aunt one time buy. <laughs> I like, knew you were going to respond when I You knew I, I, I had know. a story. I have too many, <laughs> but I had an aunt one time where we would get together and buy like ground beef yeah. like you do with your family. Yeah. Yeah. And she had picked up, I don't know, maybe it was 20 pounds of ground beef, something like that. Sure. Completely forgot it in her fucking trunk. Oh, no. And rem- found it like found it like two days later and it had completely, I mean, could you imagine? Oh, Ooh. Not the same as a decomposing body. No, not at all. But damn close. N- and you it know, was summer. I think it's so
0: pungent, too, that you can't even you can't mask the
1: smell of that again. It's I don't think. No, no, I way. don't think that's something that you can. No, nope. Even with something that smells equally as bad. Right. Like I bet rotting, you know, that like fish smell. I don't even think that would completely wipe out a decomposing body smell. N- not at all. No.
0: Dylan Howard says that Cindy's 911 statement was that the car smelled like there had been a dead body inside of it, but all of a sudden, she changed her mind about that. She now starts telling police that the garbage bag had an old pizza in it that was full of maggots, and that had to be where the smell had been coming from. John Allen comes back to us and says, okay, I've been in law enforcement for 37 years, Rotting food and decomposing bodies do not smell the same. No. No. Again, we hear it all the time. It is such a distinctive smell. It is not the same thing as rotting food. No, not at all. Eric Edwards thinks this is when Cindy was starting to come to the realization that something horrible probably did occur, and maybe she didn't want to believe it. And I think, too, she didn't want to see her daughter spend the rest of her life in prison And be one of the reasons for her being found guilty. So her mom being one of the reasons why she's in prison. Right. So I think there was a lot of emotions there. And of course, on a 911 call, you can't take back what you said. It's all recorded. Right. So for her to backtrack, I'm like... How do you backtrack on that statement?
1: I mean, I think now we get a little bit of a sense of where Casey's terrible lies come from because Cindy is coming up with even worse excuses for the behavior and what is actually being found.
0: Yep. Jane Velez Mitchell describes her as a mother torn between finding her granddaughter and protecting
1: her own daughter. It was kind of a little bit of a struggle for her, I'm sure. Oh, I can't imagine, nor would I ever want to be in that situation. Never. Because it would be very hard. Absolutely. So they come back to the interview, and they basically look at Cindy, and they're like, look, pretend that she isn't your daughter for a moment. What would you think, given your gut feeling, what would you think happened, given all of the lies that we've been told, the fictitious people, the evidence that we've come across. What do you think happens, Cindy? And she's like, I don't know. Which we all know she does. But like we just mentioned, mm-hmm. she cannot incriminate her daughter right now because she doesn't know for sure.
0: Right. And there's not enough evidence yet. And I don't think she wants to say something like she already did on the 911 call right. to have to go back on and be like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know, so I right. think she's just going to stay level set at this point. Because again, Like you said, she doesn't want to incriminate her daughter.
1: Yeah. Later, George asks to speak to detectives alone. He says, I don't want to think about this, but I have bad vibes from the very first day when I got in the car. Eric Edwards says, you know, being a former law enforcement officer, he could have also have been struggling with what his daughter may have done. Yeah. And George also says, I don't want to believe that I have raised someone who could do that to another person. I don't want to believe that. And again, I mean, ow. As a parent, that has to make you think like, where did I go wrong? Yeah. What did I do? I can't. How did I fail? I, I literally can't imagine what
0: the Anthonys went through. I mean, that type of pain and sadness on two different sides of the coin here. They're talking about their daughter who they think could have, Potentially murdered her daughter, who's also your granddaughter, and you have no clue where she is. Right. So much sadness. I, I, oh, I just my heart goes out to them because I, I don't know if I could deal with that type of trauma. I mean, it's it's pure trauma. Yeah.
1: Oh my god. And it, I'm sure they're like, are we in a fucking horror movie right now? Yeah. Is this real? Are we asleep? Yeah. How can this be real life? Right. Now after speaking with police. George and Cindy make several visits to Casey while she's in jail. So she's being held this entire time, still on the charge of child neglect. Right. And during one of the calls, you know, it's it's a phone, like, in-person meeting, it right?
0: Was in, it was interesting. It wasn't your typical, like, sitting between glass. It was like they were on video, yeah, they were recording everything. Yeah, it was just a weird dynamic because it didn't look like what you're normally used to seeing. Where like you pick up the phone on one side, they pick up the phone on the other. Yeah, it was more of like a video type thing. It it was different, right? Or, it was a little weird. It, I've never seen it before, but
1: but again, who we've knows? probably only seen a lot of that through like movies. <laughs> so they have like it's professional cameramen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, where they can't. It doesn't look like they're being recorded. Right. Yeah. Right. And. George picks up the phone and he goes, hey, gorgeous. And the first thing Casey says is, oh, I look like hell as she's like wiping her hair away from her face. And I'm like, huh? I fucking hate her. She is like, who gives a shit what you look like? Do you
0: forget that your daughter's missing? Like. You should not care about what you fucking look like in prison.
1: Again, it's Jody all over again. Oh my Can I have gosh. a minute to fix my makeup before my mugshot? These two would be besties. Besties for the resties. I was just going to say that. No, you weren't. <laughs> yes.
0: I love that. Great minds think alike. Yeah.
1: <laughs> At one point, Cindy has the phone and she says, somebody said that Kaylee was dead this morning. And Casey Literally rolls her eyes and her response is, surprise, surprise, with that type of a tone in her voice. Oh, now Jane Velez Mitchell says, who says that? She's like, the reaction was so inappropriate. It was chilling. I wanted to slap
0: her fucking face for saying that.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. That right there, she fucking did it. She fucking right. did it, or had something to fucking do with it. Because, well, right. are you
1: kidding me? No, as a mother, hearing that, oh. you would—that's the last thing you want to think about. No, when I know. your kid is missing, even if it's a Jacob Wetterling situation where that kid is missing for over twenty-five years, right? You still hope and pray that they're alive. You never, ever. Want to hear the opposite. Or have
0: the audacity to say something like, surprise, surprise. It's like,
1: bitch, what? She's <laughs> fucked. What are you saying? Oh, I know. she is the fucking worst. She's the worst. Cindy then says to Casey, you know, I need something to go on. And Casey gets frustrated again. And she goes, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. I've been here for a month today. Do you understand how I feel? And again, it's all about her. Of course. And she goes on to say, nobody is letting me speak. My entire life has been taken from me. Everything has been taken from me. Me, 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 me. And the only time you hear her get emotional is when she
0: talks about her goddamn self. Yeah, that's because the I don't only think she time. can think outside of that. No, because that's all she cares about is her fucking self. It's, oh, she's the fucking devil woman. I swear to God. I've said this on multiple episodes. Yeah. She is the fucking spawn of the devil. For real. abso fucking How could you be so cold and callous about your beautiful two-year-old daughter? I cannot wrap my mind around it. Me neither.
1: Jane comes back and says that it's obvious that Cindy and George are tiptoeing around this explosive character yep. known as Casey Anthony. They're constantly trying to extract information from her, but worried that she's about to erupt and shut down in any moment. Dylan Howard comes back on, that editor for The Inquirer, and he says that it's almost cryptic to watch this video yeah. as Casey appears to be withholding information throughout the entire thing. And at one point... It's almost as if Cindy takes a cue from her. Yeah. Knowing that this is all being recorded. Cindy goes on to ask Casey what her gut is saying right now. And Casey, all of a sudden calm mm-hmm. and almost like serene, is like that she's okay. That she's not far. What?
0: Really? Hmm. You're pretending this is your mother's intuition? You don't have any fucking mother's intuition. She doesn't have intuition at all. Oh. No.
1: No. She doesn't have a fucking soul. Nope. So with little to go on, because Casey is clearly not giving them anything, police continue to look for the nanny that she has been accusing of kidnapping Kaylee this whole time. Kevin Barry says that investigators track down Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez and bring her in for questioning. That prosecutor, Jeff Ashton, says that Zenaida isn't exactly what they were expecting to find. First of all, She's not a young woman, as Casey had described, only being about 25 years old. Yeah. Zenaida was actually a middle-aged woman. Kevin Barry says that when she was asked if she knew Casey Anthony, she said, no, I do not. When asked if she knew who Kaylee Anthony was, she responded, no, I do not. She says that she had never babysat from them, and they were able to verify this yeah. story. Yeah. Quickly.
0: Yet another lie to add to Casey Anthony's record here.
1: I mean, really, the kidnapping story now turns out to be the entire thing is a big fat lie. <sighs> the whole thing.
0: They should sue her ass for taking them on this wild goose chase for lying to them. Did they ever yeah, do that?
1: I don't know. But they I mean, should have fucking done they that. They can. I mean, I know that there is like what, like false reporting. Yeah. Is that is that what it's called? False reporting?
0: I believe so. That, that right. sounds right. Yeah, we're
1: going with false. We're going to go with
0: it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So at this point, they suspect her of being guilty of much more than just negligence. At this point, they think she killed her daughter. Yep. Nothing else makes sense. No. Diane says that the whole time that Casey's being held in jail, she's keeping investigators at arm's length. She gets the name of an attorney from a fellow inmate. How is this? always the case it's always the case i i it literally
0: i don't get it we just talked about it last week with hh H. holmes he had a jail informant that gave him an attorney's name too it's so like, what the i hell? guess
1: obviously like if you ever need the name of an attorney just go like visit the the jail <laughs> they, they know all everyone. know attorneys <laughs> and the good ones apparently all the good ones <laughs> and this inmate gives her the name of jose baez which if you remember from earlier episodes he also represented Aaron Hernandez.
0: Yep. And I think I referenced him as being the bitch who was the attorney for the other bitch, Casey Anthony. You sure? I did. was not happy with him.
1: No. Eric Edwards says that once Baez was involved in the case, police access to Casey was completely shut down. George and Cindy, in the meantime, launch a massive search campaign for the still missing Kaylee. Jane Velez Mitchell remembers them making T-shirts, organizing searches, putting up wanted posters with Kaylee's information all over it. They're really not holding back on any efforts to try to find their da- granddaughter.
0: The Anthonys enlist the help of Tim Miller, who is the founder of Texas EquiSearch. Now, Texas EquiSearch is an organization that looks for missing people. I've heard of it before, but me too. I, I never knew that they went all over, that they were kind of more than just in the state of Texas, you know?
1: Yeah, I guess I would assume that they were only Texas, but I'd bet on some of these high-profile cases, especially ones that involve children, that if they have the manpower and the ability, why not?
0: And Tim remembers getting a call from Cindy Anthony. He immediately flew to Florida the very next day to aid in the search for Kaylee. He knew this was something that needed to be done. Yeah. Over 4,200 volunteers showed up to help search for this little girl. They had ground searchers, four-wheelers, dogs, divers. They had searched all the swamps and woodlands by the airport. They were not leaving any stone unturned.
1: I want to know what made them think to search by the airport.
0: Maybe it was a more vacant, open area with lots of, like they said, swampy and woodland type of area where a body could easily be hidden. That was kind of what I was assuming who knows? Maybe the dogs had kind of hit in that direction. Yeah. Who knows? They, d- they didn't go into that. They ended up searching for almost four weeks. And Tim thought at one point that Kaylee may be one of the missing children that never gets found. He had that inkling in the back of his mind that, you know, it's been four weeks and we've searched everywhere and we cannot find her. Yeah. She may be one that's that's gone forever. While the search for Kaylee Anthony is Underway, the story explodes on the news, as you can imagine it would. Yeah. Jane says that Florida has strong public records laws. So most of the information came out right away. That included the videotape interviews between Cindy, George, and Casey in jail. I love that. I do too. That is so awesome. That should be happening everywhere. Why can't it be
1: available to the public immediately? Yeah. The only thing I don't like about it is that it really does make it hard to try to find jurors if it's going to go to trial. True. And it
0: could end up hindering the investigation. Right. You know, so I guess that kind of makes sense, too.
1: But I get it. I mean, nowadays, it's hard to hold back any video evidence of anything. Right. Well, and the public couldn't believe how cold and callous she was. They, they
0: could not comprehend it. Well, that's the sh- most shocking yes, part of it. Absolutely. And then the 911 call made it out into the public. And that was the bombshell. Oh, yeah. It People solidified everything. People went insane. And it really changed everything after that for the investigation. Casey became the most hated woman in America. She still is one of the most hated fucking women in America. So funny. Side note, I posted about her, I think it was last year, maybe Uh 2019, (laughs) about something. There was something going on in Florida. I think it was maybe a hurricane or something. And it said, prayers for everyone in Florida, except Casey Anthony. Fuck that bitch. I still firmly believe that she's the fucking worst. She
1: is. (laughs) I love, I remember you posting. I that. love,
0: cause I, there was a lot of interaction on that post too. People loved it.
1: Yeah. Well, and we just recently posted something in our discussion <laughs> group how she's out there now opening up her own private investigating firm.
0: Yeah. I honestly, I don't know how she's not buried somewhere. How
1: has someone not murdered this bitch? I, I don't understand. I don't either. Why isn't an alligator attacked her oh, at this point?
0: Please, that would that would be perfect. Yes. Why can't that happen? We're She's in
1: Florida. Florida. <laughs> They're swamp puppies. They're That's everywhere. Right.
0: That's right. Now the public is seeking justice, but Casey makes bond because again she was in there for child neglect. This was right. not for murder yet. On August 21st, she is released from jail and placed under house arrest. People flipped out. They were so pissed off that this murderer or potential murderer is going free. Yeah. Jane says that all hell broke loose. People started protesting at the Anthony home, stating that they were harboring a baby killer. I mean, it got nasty. It got nasty pretty quick. Cindy tells us that the protesters were telling her that she was a bad mother by allowing her daughter to live with them. And the Anthonys were not taking
1: this shit at all. No, I mean, really, uh, how could you? You're surrounding your home. Oh, yeah. People are going up to the door, screaming
0: in their door, saying all sorts of horrible things. So I can imagine, I mean... They wanted to hold their own and people were on their private property. So they were using that to their advantage a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) One clip even showed Cindy with a
1: hammer. (laughs) I know. I was like, tell me she was doing something with that hammer before she walked outside. I know. I thought that was so funny. Like while she's yelling at protesters, I'm like, damn,
0: Cindy, what are you going to do with that hammer?
1: (laughs) Right. And like, turn it around. Use the claw. (laughs) There you go. Maximum damage. There you go. Now, as the
0: public outcry continues, police are still in the background trying to build this case against Casey Anthony. Again, it needs to be a solid case before they can bring charges against her, right? Jeff Ashton, the prosecutor, comes back and says that the most important thing is to have solid evidence that someone had actually died, and that's really hard to do when there's no body, right? They felt their solid evidence was all the evidence that they found in her trunk, which is, I mean, how, again, is that not the nail in the coffin? God damn it. Right. Dylan Howard tells us that after having the hair and carpet samples analyzed, they strongly believe they have enough evidence to prove that there was a decomposing body in Casey's car. So prosecutors spring into action. Eric Edwards explains that there was sufficient probable cause to charge Casey Anthony with the murder of Kaylee Anthony. They indicted Casey in October of 2008, but they still didn't truly know what had happened to Kaylee. When it breaks the news, Casey's attorney, Jose Baez, holds a press conference. Of course he does. Jose Baez states, and I quote, I've seen people falsely accused many times, so
1: charges mean nothing. End quote. I mean, he's not wrong. No. It happens a lot. And he has to keep it Switzerland right now. And
0: he needs to make sure that he's obviously on the side of Casey, right? Right. That he believes in her innocence by some ungodly reason. No one knows why the fuck he would ever... uh, How... How do people be defense attorneys? Can, can we can we ask that question? How do you do that? Especially when you know
1: this person is a fucking murderer. No, you have to be one of those people, I think, that just knows how to push buttons oh. and just tweak the truth enough to where it gives doubt. Yeah, that's all they need. In any way, shape, or form. That's all they need is just a sliver of doubt. But like your conscience, how do you not get haunted? Oh, they don't have that. <laughs>
0: I mean, that would
1: oh, be Oh, yeah, no, you, that's not what you asked. <laughs> no, that's a different question.
0: <laughs> Diane Diamond says that on December 11th of 2008, a utility worker named Roy Cronk came upon a horrifying discovery. We hear a call from this utility worker. Quote, yes, this is Orange County Utilities Emergency Dispatch. We found a human skull, end quote. Police quickly respond to cordon off the scene. They call in forensic anthropologists to collect all of these remains. We hear from Dr. Jan Garvalia. She was the former chief medical examiner for Orange and Osceola counties, and she actually had her own TV show called Dr. G, and I remember her on her TV show. She looked very familiar, so many of you might know who she is. Yeah. Yeah but she tells us that it was her responsibility to identify who these remains belonged to and the cause and manner of death. The scene was about 20 feet from the road with lots of ground vegetation. They found two torn open black trash bags nearby, which was intermixed with a large canvas bag. They found bones in the bag and on the ground, then right near that was the skull. Kevin Barry ends part one, by stating, it was determined that it looked like the remains of a small child.
1: Ugh. What a way to end the first part. I mean, that's where we're left. Yeah. So the discovery of this, what we can only assume is the remains of two-year-old Kaylee. Yeah. I mean, I know how I feel about this case, both. Personally and objectively, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're both pretty fucking obvious about how we feel about this case. <laughs> oh, what? but we still have two more segments left of we this story.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be the the biggest parts, obviously, of this documentary. The next for two. sure.
1: Yeah. So don't forget to tune in next week for part two, A Shallow Grave. Now, please take a moment, rate and review us out on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to us on. We truly appreciate the time that you take to do that and the kind words. In today's world, I think we can all agree that kind words can go a long way. Absolutely. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. On Twitter, we are at sheer crime pod. On Facebook, on Facebook, You can join the Sheer Crime Podcast discussion group. And of course, if you have any requests for future episodes, or if you just want to chat, you can always send us a message to our inbox, requests at sheercrimepodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, and remember, never run with scissors. Bye, guys. See ya.